the Gilda's maximum lawyers community of legal entrepreneurs who are taking their businesses and lives to the next level. As a Guild member, you'll build relationships, be held accountable, and learn strategies specifically designed to get you unstuck and accelerate your plan for growth. Members are also granted exclusive access to masterminds hosted around the country. Our next event is coming up, and we're heading to Scottsdale, Arizona. There's something truly magical about the power of these in-person connections where real-time breakthroughs happen. Picture this. You're surrounded by like-minded law firm owners tackling your business and mindset challenges together. The energy is electric, the insights are transformative, and the results are game-changing. Investing in yourself is the best decision you'll ever make. The knowledge, strategies, and breakthroughs you'll gain are priceless assets that will supercharge your practice and propel you forward. Join the Guild and secure your ticket to Scottsdale at the best possible price by visiting maxlawevents.com. Run your law firm the right way. This is the Maximum Lawyer Podcast. Your hosts, Jim Hacking and Tyson Mutrix. Let's partner up and maximize your firm. Welcome to the show. Welcome back to the Maximum Lawyer Podcast. I'm Jim Hacking. And I'm Tyson Mutrix. What's up, Jimmy? Oh, Tyson just got back from a great weekend. Very relaxing. Did a little bit of work. Um, I've been starting to implement Filevine, so playing around with that sort of like a toy. How exciting, isn't it nice whenever you have like that new thing, whatever it might be, like how exciting is it right now? Well, you know, I'm the king of new things, but yes, you I'm, are. I'm really excited about implementing Filevine into our practice. Yeah, I will tell you this, I've been using Filevine for about a year. I was skeptical whenever I first saw it, you know, like Ryan McKean is such a fanboy and loves it so much. I'm like, there's no way it's that good. It, I think it's that good. I think, I really think it's that good. Um, and I'm pretty sure our guest today uses it. Do you want to introduce our guest? Yeah. So today we have one of our most prolific Facebook member posters. His name is Nick Ortiz. He's a disability lawyer from Pensacola, Florida. Nick, welcome to the show. Hi, guys. Uh, thanks for having me. I'm really excited to be here. <laughs> All right, Nick. So you know the routine by now. You're you're very. I think you are our number one most active person in the Facebook group. So I'm assuming you listen to the podcast. So tell us about your background, how you got to where you are now. Sure. Yeah. I, I do listen to the show quite a bit. Um, I first came across it because I do uh, a lot of Facebook and I also am a, what I call a student of marketing. You know, I pay attention to a lot of what's happening in the world of marketing, especially with lawyers. And so that's how I came across the podcast after I'd say it had been live for about 20 episodes. A little bit about me. I when, when I was in high school, I'd always wanted to be a lawyer. And the reason I wanted to be a lawyer was because I was looking around at some of the more successful people in my community, and they happened to be plaintiff's lawyers. And so I thought this would be a really great occupation where you get to help people and make money. So I thought <laughs> this, is, this is a really good occupation to go into. So when I was in high school, I did really well in high school. I had always planned on going to the University of Florida. Uh, but based on the PSAT scores, I started getting applications from... Ivy League schools. And I went to school, went back to high school and I was asking friends if they were getting applications from places like Yale and Harvard and Princeton. And, and they said, no, we're, they're not sending me applications. So at that point, I thought, well, what the heck? I'll go ahead and apply to these schools. So I applied to four schools, uh, Florida, which I was, had planned on going to, Yale, Harvard, and Princeton. And lo and behold, I got into Yale. And so I couldn't turn down that opportunity and decided to go there. 
met a lot of great people, and then still had that plan to go to law school. In terms of law school I wanted to go to, it was UVA, largely due to the fact that it had an in-state tuition, and as a bit of pop culture reference, there was a movie at the time called True Colors with John Cusack. And I saw that, saw the beautiful campus, and decided that that was a good place to go. Unfortunately, I was late to my interview and uh, did not get into <laughs> to UVA. So uh, one of my other schools was UCLA, which still had a really good in-state program uh, where I could pay in-state tuition after a year. Went out to UCLA, cost of living was out of sight. Uh, so I decided to move back to where I grew up, which is in the panhandle of Florida, with our really great, beautiful beaches. Joined up with a small firm, a disability and personal injury law firm. Learned the disability side of things. Really liked it in terms of helping people with their disability claims. I was an associate for several years. Then I got what I call the contract I could refuse. He wanted me to sign a contract, but I just didn't agree to the terms, and I went out on my own in 2012, and I've, I've been out on my own ever since. That's so great, Nick. Thanks for sharing that story. Um, I love the offer you could refuse, so I, I totally get that. Tell us about your setup and what your practice areas are and what you focus on. Sure. So we have, it's a small firm. It's me and an associate attorney. We have uh, two paralegals, an intake specialist, uh, a receptionist, and my wife helps out with the bookkeeping. Although I started off doing some personal injury we do very little personal injury. We are like 98% disability. Within that, we do social security disability law and uh, long-term disability insurance slash ERISA cases. So people who have private policies or group plan policies through their employer and they're denied uh, disability through the likes of Unum, Hartford, things like that. So we help those people. I used to be predominantly social security. In fact, I'm board certified in that area of law but I do see some writing on the wall, some major changes coming down the pike there. So we've shifted into doing long-term disability cases, and that's where the weight of our work is, is, is in long-term disability cases. So Nick, how do you spend the majority of your time? Are you, are you more practicing law or are you more running the firm? For me individually, I'd say I'm probably 50-50 split where 50% is managing and marketing and sales, and then 50% is actually still working on cases. Uh, I think I'm, from listening to previous podcasts, pretty in line with Jim's vision, which is to do ultimately a lot more marketing and sales, uh, building the business and working on the business as opposed to working in it. Ultimately, I'd like to be, I call it 90-10 split, 90, 90% working on it and 10% in it. And in fact, you know, in terms of super long term, ultimately, I'd like to be doing 100% marketing and sales and then very little of the actual practice of law. That's great, Nick. We do share that in common. And, and looking at your bio on your website, I noticed something else that we share in common, and that is that we both worked in between college and law school, and we both actually worked as paralegals at a law firm. What did you learn in your two-year stint as a paralegal that impacts how you run your office today? Sure. I worked as a, as a paralegal at a, at a white shoe firm in Washington, D.C. They had several hundred attorneys, and they had probably about 100 paralegals or so. And one thing that I learned was it was good to have that experience of a break between law school or break between college and law school because about half the people that went to work there, and when you sign up, you sign up for about a two-year stint. And almost everyone going in as a paralegal wanted to go to law school. 
But the super interesting thing was about half the people at the end of the two years were like, I don't want to go into law. I'm going to go into something else. And then the half continued on into uh, the law. So another interesting thing was at that law firm, I met my wife and she was in that half that decided she did not want to be a lawyer. And I was of that half that decided to continue on to be a lawyer. But yes, my, I met my wife at work at that law firm. So Nick, where are you, where are you building this thing? To, where are you heading towards, I guess? What do you want to do with your firm? Or do you want to become a larger firm? Do you want to keep it the way it is? In 10 years, what's your firm going to look like? That's a really good question. It's something that I think about all the time. We do well. Uh, I have zero complaints about the firm's revenues, the firm's income, and therefore, I'm constantly asking myself if we want to just stay where we are or scale up. Uh, But to directly answer your question, I am interested in building and scaling up primarily because of the ultimate goals that I, my personal goals that I have, and that is to have that firm where I'm not doing as much in it, but also to I have some really good ideas in terms of where I want things to go and the life that I want to live. And I think that having that goal in mind that you're pulling towards is important in terms of building a a successful business. And what I mean by that is the ultimate life that I want to live is being able to go on multiple vacations a year. For example, I'd like to be able to take up to a month off at a time, not once, but a couple times a year, two or three times a year, where we just, I leave and I know that the, that the firm is set up in a way that it runs without me there. In order to do that, you have to have the systems and processes and people in place to do that. So I would like to scale up in order to have that vision of the firm. Because where things are now, you know, it still requires a lot of my direct involvement and therefore, that doesn't meet the goal that I ultimately have of having a lot more personal time to myself and, and to spend time with my family. Certainly a worthwhile goal. Now, Nick, I have a question for you. Given that you're doing Social Security and disability, can you do that nationwide or are you limited in scope so that you can only practice in Florida? So, yes. I mean, given the fact that Social Security is a federal program, there are lots of lawyers who do Social Security cases nationwide or statewide, or they have a large geo area. We only do cases in our immediate area. So we can do it nationwide, but I prefer to do cases just in the immediate Pensacola area. Now, with long-term disability cases, a lot of the cases there are governed by, if it's a group plan policy, which the vast majority of our clients' cases are, then it's governed by a complex federal regulation called ERISA. And because ERISA is a federal statute that has nationwide reach, we do accept clients' cases from the entire country, so nationwide on that side of things. So, Nick, tell me this. You seem like you're very, very successful. I, I mean, you've, you've gone to an amazing law school, or a, I, I undergrad, I guess. You went to Yale, amazing education. Um, you've done really well with your firm. And so I think... Just uh, from the outside looking in, some people might be intimidated. You know, they may be like, well, I can't do that. You know, like this guy's got this amazing education. He's done all these great things. He's got a great firm. So tell people, like, what is it that you struggle with? Because it can't be like it's just easy. It's not something that's just easy to you, I'm assuming. So what, like, what is it that, that, that you struggle with? You know, Tyson, that's a really good question. Thanks for asking it. Um, in essence, I think the biggest thing that I struggle with is that distinction between being an owner and an entrepreneur and one's relationship with one's employees. And what I mean by that is 
uh, I have very high expectations in everyone that I work with. And sometimes uh, I come to recognize that not everyone uh, puts in the amount of time or effort that I do and or want them to do. And I think it took a coach to point out to me that you really have to work on getting enrollment from people in your firm. So you have to work on your relationship with your employees in your firm, and you have to come up with ideas like a mission and vision statement in order to get enrollment from your employees. And the other thing is that not everyone wants to be an owner or an entrepreneur. You know, in the in the law, we have this concept in a law firm, especially of associates, where there's there's finders, minders, and grinders. And some people just want to come in, obtain that, that paycheck, and have the steady income, but they don't want the responsibilities of being a, a finder. And that's okay. At the end of the day, if someone wants that, that it's okay for them to want that. And me coming to understand and come to grips with that, uh, I think that's been a big development in my, in my law firm and in my career is coming to the understanding that not everyone wants to be an entrepreneur and or owner of a firm. So Nick, once you make that realization, how do you act on that? How do you, how does that then frame how you interact with each of your team members? So what I've been doing lately is the, one of the big books that's come up more recently uh, is Traction. And in part of Traction is coming up with your firm's vision and mission statement. And it, and I think the reason why I really like it is it ties in really well to the concept of Gary Vaynerchuk. And I think that's something we have in common, Jim, is, is that we both like Gary Vaynerchuk, or at least listen to him. And one of his big things, if you listen to enough of him, is you know that he wants to ultimately buy the Jets. And I think part of that is, and you even hear him say, look, a large part of this is the process of going through everything it takes to buy the Jets. In fact, he said he'll be disappointed or, or it'll, it, he'll have less interest in doing things when he does ultimately buy the Jets because that's really his goal that he's pulling himself towards. So my point of bringing that up is that when you have a, a combined vision and mission statement for the firm, which in our case is helping people obtain the benefits that they need and deserve, you can get enrollment from people on your firm to work towards that goal of, of helping people and helping people help themselves. So Nick, let's talk a little bit more about that process because I've talked to several people and they're like, well, you know, like, how do I come up with that? So will you talk about the, the, the process of actually going through, coming up with your mission statement, your vision, things like that? Certainly. So another thing that I've been involved with is um, listening a little bit to, to uh, Melissa Shanahan. I really like her. She, I think she's a member of the group, but she has uh, a podcast as well where she talks about these different concepts. And one of the biggest things that I've come to realize that I like in, in building a practice and have ignored for a while is the mindset component of it. So I do believe it's important to pay attention to your, to your health and to your mind. But as part of that, what you want to do is really sit down. And what I did was involve the team. So what I did, literally did was take some chapters from Traction and gave it to each employee, like the, the first chapter that talked about vision. It may not have been the first chapter, but the chapter that talked about vision, I, I sent it out to everyone. I said, I want you to go through this, and I want you to come up with several ideas for our firm in terms of a vision. And then there was the section on mission. So I asked everyone to come up with their ideas. And what we did was we put them all together, and then we picked out the ones 
that, that we felt most represented the firm. So it was a team effort, a collaborative effort in terms of trying to involve everyone. Again, part of getting that enrollment was involving everyone in this. I didn't want to just be the only one inv uh, involved in, in deciding what our firm's mission and vision is. We'll take a break for a word from our sponsors. Thanks to our sponsor, Smith AI. Smith AI is a superior receptionist service for law firms, trusted by many maximum lawyers, including me. At my immigration practice, the Hacking Law Practice, Smith's friendly U.S.-based receptionists respond to potential clients in English or Spanish, screen and schedule new leads, and even take payment for our consults. The best part is that they don't just handle these conversations by phone. They also have live agents and chatbots capturing leads on our website through their chat widget. They serve as our friendly gatekeepers while my team and I work uninterrupted. We get new clients and we get work done. How awesome is that? If you're in a solo or small firm, I know you'll appreciate this. Plans start at just $70 a month for calls and $100 a month for chats. They even offer a totally free chatbot, so there's no excuse. Try Smith AI today and see for yourself why attorneys like me say Smith AI receptionists are the secret to business growth. Smith AI offers a free trial and maximum lawyer listeners get an extra $100 discount with promo code MAXLAW100, that's M-A-X-L-A-W-1-0-0. Sign up and learn more at www.smith.ai. Trust me when I say, don't let another day go by, try Smith AI. Talking today with Nick Ortiz, disability lawyer and great Facebook friend of the show. Nick, talk to us, I know you're big on marketing. Talk to us about some of your marketing heroes or the you talked about Gary V. What What books, when it comes to marketing, have been instructive in your path. Yeah, so I, I love marketing. And so I, I think my introduction to marketing really came from a direct mailer from Ben Class and Great Legal Marketing back in, I think, 2008. And that's when my eyes were first opened to it. So I started listening to some, some, some of the Ben Glass products and came to realize that he was uh, a student of Dan Kennedy. And so I decided to go directly to the source and start listening to a lot of Dan Kennedy stuff. So I would say that magnetic marketing, one of the seminal pieces uh, available on eBay pretty cheap these days. But I think magnetic marketing was my first real introduction to this concept of direct marketing. And since that time, I think uh, books like Think and Grow Rich, um, seminal books like Influence, there's a, a book called Triggers by Sugarman. I think some of those books are the keys that I've followed in terms of coming to understand uh, the psychology of sales, the psychology of copy, and just how to communicate with people. I think those have been some pretty influential books on me. Nick, I, I, we sort of skipped over something, and I want to I ask you about it. And we told, talk a little bit about your systems because it seems like you have you're you're pretty good about getting clients, uh, and so. We talk a little bit about your systems, about handling your clients and making sure you're doing a, an amazing job. Sure. You mean like the like once they become clients? Absolutely. Like just basically, once you get them into your system, how do you normally? What's the workflow like? Yeah. So I'm a huge believer in automation. A lot of, especially let, let's take social security cases for example. Uh, in social security law, it's what I believe that there's a width of knowledge, not necessarily a depth of knowledge. So there's a lot of different topics that could come up and there's a lot of different things that can happen during a case, but I don't think any one individual thing is, is terribly complicated. But there's some, there tends to be a lot of the same issues that come up and the same types of communications that you need to have with your client. 
And therefore, when I opened my own firm, one of the biggest things that I did and, and was different than my previous firm was to have a lot more touches, a lot more communication with the clients. And so what I did was, for example, when one files the last appeal asking for a hearing before a judge, there's about a year to a year and a half gap where there's not a whole lot happening on the case. You're just literally waiting in line to have your hearing. And we used to get calls after about six months saying, hey, I know you said it would be a long time, but I just want to make sure my case is active. I want to make sure my case is still going. And we would, we would reassure them, yes, you're, you're now you know, 50% closer to the hearing, but you're, but you're still in line. And there's a long way. In our area, for example, there's an 11,000-person wait line for the Mobile, Alabama hearing office. So when you start, like your, when you file your appeal, you're number 11,001. After about six months to eight months, you're about number 5,000 and you're working your way to number one. But one of the things that I realized was we need, to, we need to communicate more with our clients. So we came up with a series of letters that go out to our clients. And they go, they go out once a month. And they range from being informational, so telling them a little bit about the process, uh, some are responsive, so asking for, for an update on them and their status, for them to reach back, and that creates some self-involvement. And some are just educational about, about the process and things that they can do to help themselves. So there's this series of things that go out. And we found that the check-ins uh, went down and the frustration went down significantly after we implemented that. So I believe a lot can be automated. Another thing that we've done is I, because when we prepare a client for a hearing, you know, I've, I've done perhaps or handled perhaps my current estimate is three to 4,000 social security cases. And you tend to have the same conversation uh, preparing clients for hearings. So what I ultimately did was I literally sat down with a videographer and I recorded, I think it was about 120 videos, uh, 120 topics to prepare clients for hearings. So now we have shortened our pre-hearing prep quite a bit. And, and now we give them access to those online videos in, in a closed platform where they can access these videos to get prepped for the hearing. And that they add up to about five or six hours of prep time and really get them prepared for a hearing. So just automating that process of, as opposed to giving the same speech to each and every client individually, opening it up and, and creating uh, a, a video course for them to, to go through. So just those kind of things um, I think is super important to because I believe in, in efficiencies in running the firm and in handling your, your, your caseload. That is great stuff, Nick, great stuff. So um, getting back to the marketing for just a minute, I know on your website you have a referring attorney program. I know also that you have Google ads that you run. Talk to us about where your cases come from, where your best cases come from, and what your thoughts are on marketing the firm itself. When I went to Max Law 2019, actually the, the 2018, John Fisher, during his presentation, he asked a series of questions of, of where do you get your, your biggest and best cases from? And he started off with traditional media, with billboards, yellow pages, things like that. Very few people raised their hand. And then he asked internet and very few, like a few people raised their hands. And then he asked referrals and the vast majority of people raised their hands. And then his comment was something along the lines of that's true. It's true for me. Like your biggest and best cases always have and always will come from your referrals. 
I'll admit I was in that extreme minority where the vast majority of my cases come from online marketing through largely through organic. And then we are layering in uh, digital paid ads like Google pay-per-click and Facebook paid ads. So to answer your question, the vast majority come from organic searches online through content on the website, a, a lot of content on the website. And then the next layers is Google paid ads. And as you said, we are working on that referral. After that, I did decide, well, if we're doing really well on digital, it would be really nice to layer in this referral program as well. Uh, and I do believe in having multiple channels available just in case one channel goes down, like Google Organic, that we have these other channels in place to try to continue to generate leads and clients. And so that's, that's where the referral program came from. Thank you, John Fisher. Thank you, Max Law. And I do believe in, in trying to diversify where the leads are coming from. Another thing that we're going to try to do is Facebook groups and participation in, in Facebook groups and generating leads in that way. Nick, uh, this has been awesome, but I do need to wrap things up. Before we do, I want to remind everyone to go to the Facebook group because people like Nick are in the group and giving a lot of great gems out. So that's, that's great. Also reminder, register for the Zapathon in, uh, on January 23rd and 24th in Phoenix, Arizona. Jim just posted the information for the hotels. Also, this is a reminder to register for MaxLawCon 2020. Make sure you get your hotel rooms quickly because they will fill up. Jimmy, what's your hack of the week? So as you know, I like to buy marketing books and business books. And when I do, I've started um, taking a picture of myself when the book comes in the mail. And then I tweet it out with references to the author's Twitter account. And so, you know, Tyson, we've been talking to John Jansch, the author of the great book, Duct Tape Marketing, about coming onto the show. And knowing that we're having that conversation, his new book came yesterday. It's, it's an interesting little book. It'd be good to get for next year. It's a daily meditation for the self-reliant entrepreneur. But got the book, took my picture, put it out on the Twitterverse, and John Jansch liked it, retweeted it, and then Bob Berg liked it and retweeted that too, and made a comment. So there's now a dialogue going on between two of our, our big heroes and gurus because of a little tweet that I sent just with a picture of me in the book. Very cool. I like it. I guess I'll need to do the same thing. Very cool. All right, Nick. So you know the routine. What is your tip or hack of the week? Sure. So my, my tip or hack of the week is, and, and I'm not sure if this has come up before, but don't give up just because something doesn't seem to be working. So this is another Gary Vee type of concept, and that is I followed him back to the days of Wine Library where he had over a thousand YouTube videos about drinking wine and and, and um, critiquing wine. And I do believe in keeping going. A lot of, Too many lawyers will try something once and say, oh, it doesn't work. Like, let's, let's say one month of Facebook ads and then they stop. Um, just because it didn't work for a few weeks doesn't necessarily mean that the platform doesn't work. Sometimes it requires refinement and tweaking and things like that. So I say keep at it. Uh, for example, what I'm doing right now is my goal is to do a Facebook Live every weekday for the next 30 days and see where that's at and then continue on for the next 30 days. And my goal is ultimately to do a Facebook Live every weekday for an entire year and see where that takes us. So keep going with it. Then you can evaluate it periodically, like every month, every quarter, every year. Man, that is amazing. And that's quite the challenge. It reminds me of Jim's challenge of blogging once a day for, I think, a year. I can't remember if, if it was... Well, Jim, was it a year? I went for like a year and three months, yeah. 
All right. So you all might want to talk off- offline just to, to maybe make sure you get, you get it done. So that, that's awesome. Good luck to you. So my tip is, I think, I don't know, if Jim, if you've mentioned this on the podcast before or not, because you said you have used it before, but I've got a couple Spanish speaking clients. And so I'd like to, I took, I took Spanish in high school. That's the last time I took it. So I was like, okay, I want to, I want to, you know, get better at it. And so there's that Duolingo app and it's actually free. I'd been playing around with some other ones like Rosetta Stone. They've got a pretty good app, but then I heard an advertisement for Duolingo. It's free. So I was like, okay, I'll check it out. It is really, really cool, and it really motivates you because it gamifies it for you, which is really neat. So if you want to learn a language, they've got, I don't know the number of languages that they have on there, but they have quite a few. They have all the main ones uh, for the most part. It's a, it's a really good app, and they gamify it. So you it, it gives you points, and it challenges you. And so if you're someone that likes to play games on your phone or something like that, it may actually motivate you to learn a new language. So that's my tip of the week. Nick, thanks so much, man. This is a really good episode. It's been way too long to, to get you on here, but thanks so much for coming on. Well, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. All right, man. Have a good week. You too. Thanks for listening to the Maximum Lawyer Podcast. To stay in contact with your hosts and to access more content, go to MaximumLawyer.com. Have a great week and catch you next time.